0: good afternoon everybody welcome to a special edition of rights and duties uh joined today with uh my normal co-host uh anthony stein from uh return to tradition and we're joined today by dave riley we've had on before and for the first time to the channel dr e michael jones from culture wars uh we are going to be discussing today the uh the future plans that the elites have uh, for our nation moving forward and not just for our nation but for the world as a whole um i've explained that i started to actually read uh before the the book by klaus schwab uh that is basically the premise for his uh grand reset uh theory which is shaping the fourth industrial revolution uh the book is uh it's it's insane uh what they actually have planned uh so with that i um i just wanted to ask uh dr jones real quick you know what his impressions of uh all this grand resetting is
1: well first of all this is not a new idea i mean the term grand uh, reset is new but uh, it's been going on for, for for quite a while so you can look at it either of two ways the um The general picture, and I think that uh, Naomi Klein has covered this pretty clearly in her book, The uh, Shock Doctrine, which was basically uh, anytime there's a natural uh, disaster, uh, you have to be the first group of people in to uh, offer help. And the help will be your way to take over their culture, the people who have had problems. So if you have a tsunami in the Indian Ocean, you are going to be the first one in to offer help to the victims of the tsunami. And by the way, uh, you're going to appropriate all of their land, uh, which you couldn't have gotten without this disaster. So that's what that's what you're going to do there Uh, and use the uh, disaster as an excuse to take over. OK, now that's that's a natural disaster. In many ways, the more frequent uh, way to do this is to create uh, an economic crash. Uh, now, this was done <clears throat> deliberately uh, in 1978 uh, when Paul Volcker was made head of the Fed. It was done <clears throat> in the interest of the bondholders who uh, were suffering from inflation. So uh, inflation is 10%. That means at the end of the year, if you have a stable amount of money, you've lost 10% of the value. Uh, the uh, other side of the coin is that uh, if there's inflation, it's, it's uh, an inducement to borrow money because you're paying back the money you borrow with cheaper dollars, more plentiful dollars. So this was good for the people who were earning wages and also for the people who were uh, in the uh, uh, needed to borrow money. Uh, But they are not the people who count. The people who count are the people who control the culture, and that has traditionally always been the creditors, and that's what it was in 79, when uh, Folker threw the entire country into an economic recession and began uh, what would become the systematic uh, exportation of America's uh, industrial base to uh, uh, foreign countries like China, China and India. So those are the two things that, uh, uh, that come to mind immediately. We've already been through this type of thing. Uh, but what, what you see here now is the COVID crisis has uh, given us unprecedented uh, a state of emergency, whereby they can have uh, all the more uh, power behind their statement of how they're going to help us rebuild uh, rebuild better, build uh, back better. I think that's their new slogan. Build back better. <laughs> build back better. So uh, now the the problem here is that as soon as someone like Klaus Schwab issues some type of book and some type of manifesto saying that this is what the oligarchs have in plan, have in store, it, it's not going to work. That's not the way it works because you're directly contradicting The whole premise of the way this thing has worked in the past, which is basically there's no program here. We're not trying to do anything. We're just trying to help out those poor people uh, in Indonesia that were flattened by a tsunami. That's all we're doing. Now, the the reason I mention this is because this played itself out in population control. Now, Bill Gates is a population controller, from way back. His parents were population controllers. This goes all the way back to the eugenics movement of the beginning of the 19th century. Uh, And it it got increased power in 1965 when uh, Lyndon Johnson mentioned it in the State of the Union address. Suddenly, uh, by the end of the 60s, everyone was worried that there was going to be overpopulation. Everybody's going to starve to death. The book, uh, The Population Bomb, Uh, with by early came out in 1968 and it was a state of emergency it was pretty clear similar to this except that it was people were going to cause all the problem india was going to starve to death by 1976 it was all going to happen very quickly and so we had to get on board with population control well as soon as you say population control it fails And that's precisely what happened because nobody's in the interest, nobody is interested in population control. If by population control you mean me, oh, you want me to stop having children so that you have, uh, I don't know, more room in uh, Wyoming? Uh, That's not going to work. And it didn't work. So what happened? is that uh, we had a big population control push in the the mid 70s. Uh, Indira Gandhi got behind it. Uh, Anwar Sadat, the Shah, and uh, President Marcos of the Philippines all got behind population control. It was all promoted by the Rockefellers. David Rockefeller was the key guy here. And every single one of those leaders was either murdered or deposed by his own people because the people woke up to the fact that they didn't like it. So I'm saying here, we've got what we're seeing with this Klaus Schwab manifesto is, first of all, don't, it's not gonna work if you've got some oligarch with a German accent coming on and say, well, we have this plan for you in place. And we would like you to stop uh, 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 objecting to this type of stuff, not gonna work. It's not gonna work. Now they're going to try and the cutting edge, as far as I can tell, is going to be the vaccine. So they're going to say, oh, no, we're not going to f- force this vaccine on anyone. It's com- it's pl- purely voluntary. Of course, if you want to get on an airplane, if you want to go to the supermarket, then you have to have this ID and so on and so forth. I think that's the way it's going to work. And I think now that Schwab has made a fool out of himself by writing this book and making that video, uh, I, don't, I think it's going to fail. Because what what is the real issue here? We've been in a, a rebellion against oligarchic controls, worldwide rebellion against oligarchic controls, ever since the election of Donald Trump, and Brexit and the Yellow Vest campaign, uh, which is all from about four years ago.
0: Oops, sorry about that. I was muted. Uh, So what do you think when you when you say that? And I and I agree with you 100 percent, Dr. Jones. I don't think it's I don't think it's doable. And I have said this to people. I said it doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter that John Kerry's out there uh, making all these speeches that 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 they're not only going to do the great reset, but they're going to go like 10 times further and they're going to go Paris Accord to the ninth level. Uh, I agree with you that the people aren't going to stand for it. But now we're hearing that this particular vaccine, quote unquote, uh, it, it's only good for 90 days. And so that means that in 90 days, you have to re uh, retake the vaccine every 90 days. Uh, and now we have Fauci saying that uh, Britain's uh, jumping the gun and going out there to to give the shot too early. Uh, what do you think you, you, you're going to see with people? I mean, you're starting to see the people starting to reject a lot of this, uh, this nonsense from the from the coverings of the phase to the to the vaccines. Do you do you see I, it- most
2: tellingly? Most tellingly, I saw a statistic recently that said something like half of American healthcare workers are going to refuse the vaccine. Mm, which that's good is, news. That's that is like if there's any canary in the coal mine for this in terms of trust, it would be that group of people.
0: Well, the end, yeah, we just do have some... want... sorry, go
2: ahead, Dave. I was going to
3: say, well, we do have like, you know, uh, some of the first effects of the, the new vaccine coming to light. For example, the priest uh, who participated in the Moderna vaccine trial who died after receiving the booster shot uh, father, John fields
2: mm-hmm.
3: Ukrainian Greek Catholic church in Philadelphia that happened last week, uh, actually this week, December 2nd. Yeah. So last week, I guess, um, so, you know, we're starting to see people actually like dropping dead already uh, from these vaccines, and uh, it's, it's really starting to scare people. Um, but just to, to, to circle back a little bit, um, just to, to touch on something that Dr. Jones didn't mention, on October 23rd of this year, the World Economic Forum uh, put a call out there for a new Bretton Woods And this is where I think it's starting to get kind of interesting um, with the idea of the creation of a centralized digital currency that is uh, produced uh, by the government's. Um, there's been a lot of things that have been going on with these kinds of central digital currencies uh, to try and get tighter and tighter controls and more and more knowledge on how people are spending their money, where they're spending their money. And then uh, because the states would be regulating the coins, for example, if you wanted to do business with somebody in Canada and you've participated in wrong think, the Canadian government can actually refuse your payment. Um, and so there's a little bit of this kind of stuff going on. I wasn't sure if anybody else had been hearing.
2: I, I had been in it. This is something that I wanted to bring up that these architects of this and the same, the biggest cheerleaders of this have in years past been also the biggest cheerleaders of both the Chinese one child policy, as well as for the Chinese social credit system. Mm. Yeah, And this is that's, and this is all part and parcel of of the build back better program
0: well, i I tell you i i as you know i uh, i moonlight from my my day profession into uh trading. And uh, there has been in the trading market a lot of talk of governments actually seizing control of the cryptocurrencies. So four hours ago,
3: actually, uh, MSNBC or MSN.com just released a new article. G7 finance officials back the need to regulate digital currencies. So they are openly talking about this at the G7 right now.
0: Yeah, I, I think that we're definitely I mean, we're starting to see and I agree. I think that people are largely going to see a lot of this stuff when we're talking about transhumanism, we're talking about uh, uh, biodiversity, we're talking about uh, all of these things that are kind of, I guess, in some way, shape or form kind of going on now. But as Dr. Jones alluded, they, they need some disaster. And I've often stated that I think they did a dry run in 2008. There was kind of a dry run for them in 2008 when they when they. Crashed the the mortgage uh, industry and the housing industry, and and I always wanted to get Doctor Jones's uh, impression of whether or not that that was kind of like a dry run for them.
1: Well, everything's a dry run for what follows. So I, I don't know what you mean by a dry run. It was an actual crisis. The the market did crash uh, as it does uh, throughout history. Mm-hmm. Nothing. The, the Fed the Fed was created to prevent uh, crashes in the market because of. Uh, inadequate liquidity it was created right after the death of JP J. Morgan who was the man who could mobilize who could mobilize uh, Wall Street finance to basically stand in the breach put your thumb in the dike and uh, bail, uh, bail, uh, bail, uh, keep, keep the bank solvent so that they wouldn't go into a financial crisis well the Fed uh, has failed to do that. It just never did it. The biggest test was 1929 and the Fed failed miserably at that point. So we are always involved in a systemic problem. And the systemic problem has to do with usury, Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, at a certain point, the the economy gets overburdened with debt. And from an economic point of view, from the big point of view here, uh, you cannot pay back that debt. You cannot pay it back. Because if X, is this, if X is the size of the economy and it's debt, well, then you have to pay X plus a certain percentage point back. Well, that, where's that money going to come from? It can't come from anywhere, because you've already stated that debt is the size of the economy. So at this point, what you have, which is de facto debt relief for the rich in the United States of America, and that is known as bankruptcy. Uh, And Donald Trump is an example of a man who made good use of this, did it three times and came out uh, on top every time he did it because he was too big to fail. He was the classic example of a guy who was too big to fail. The classic example of the other end of the spectrum is student loans where you're too small to be significant uh, because you're one guy and you're in debt and, and you don't owe enough money. That's the problem. So they used to say if you owe $10,000 to the bank and you can't pay it back, uh, you're in trouble. But if you owe $10 million to the bank and you can't pay it back, the bank's in trouble. Uh, that's, that's precisely the problem. The only way the bank is in trouble here is if all of the people involved in student loan uh, would default at the same time. Or if you had some man to negotiate, one person to negotiate for all the students in debt, that would be a powerful figure. And you could... Uh, do what normal business does every day of the year, demand a haircut. OK, so basically, OK, I have X amount of debt. I'll give you 10 cents on the dollar. And then the haggling goes on and eventually you reach a, an, an agreement where you're not going to pay off the full face value of the debt. All of history, beginning way, way back when with the, the, the Revolutionary War bonds, has always been an attempt to manipulate the, this, this uh, debt problem to the advantage of the people who were able to buy it up. So the, the widows of the Revolutionary War veterans didn't have any political power. They sold their bonds to the to the, to the oligarchs, to the creditors, and they uh, got Congress to pay back full face value in gold because they had political value. That's the, that's the way this system, this, this uh, financial system works. And it's nothing is going to change. Nothing has changed in that regard. But the point, to get back to the other point, uh, what we saw in, in Michigan, for example, under the tyrannical rule of Gretchen Whitmer and her Jewish lesbian uh, attorney general, Dana <laughs> Nessel, was not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything uh, wrong with no,
0: that.
2: No, we're, we're uh, okay. <laughs> no. YouTube. No. We, no, YouTube. We we are all waving our rainbow flags here right now. We, we, we
1: are all about equality and diversity here. Right. right. To, to get back... To get back to that point here, uh, when I just gave a speech uh, in Michigan, and it became clear that uh, in spite of their tyrannical imposition of a tyrannical lo- uh, COVID lockdown, the sheriffs uh, in the individual counties were not enforcing it. They made it clear that they were not going to enforce these rules. So that's the type of pushback you can expect, I, I suppose, if they actually get down and try to enforce
3: a vaccine. Well, see, now this is exactly what's going to tie in. There's, there's three maybe ways that I, I'm seeing this possibly play out. One, and I'm, I'm terrible. I, I forget the name of the senator that uh, introduced the bill, but there was a bill introduced, I believe it was yesterday, uh, no second stimulus check without the vaccine. And so you got these people loaded down with debt unable to function, unable to pay this back, um, sometimes even get a job, especially with the way that the economy is now. So how many people that wouldn't normally take the vaccine will feel cornered like they have no other option? And so they take it so that they can get the second stimulus. Um, If, if
1: If I could interrupt here for a second, that destroys the whole rationale of a vaccine. Right, because if you have to coerce someone with financial means to take something which should be medicine and which you should be happy to take, I mean, who want, who doesn't want a cure? Right. As soon as you start baking this conditional, you're undermining the whole medical rationale and you're destroying the 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 uh, ability to impose it.
3: I completely agree. The other thing that I've heard floated is the idea that your debts will be forgiven if you take the vaccine, but if you don't take the vaccine, then you still need to pay back your debts. So and You're totally free to
0: choose. So the idea the idea that we can't forgive debt because somehow that will, will crash everything, uh, you know, jubilees couldn't happen because that's, that's, <laughs> that's nonsense. Oh, it can, as long as you take this thing that we want you to take. <laughs>
2: right. And for some reason, this reminds me of when they were having the first stimulus talk, the, uh, uh, someone from the Fed came out and said, "Oh, we can do a stimulus. We have functionally unlimited
0: money." Which... <laughs> <laughs> oh. it's, MMT. Yeah, it's 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 insanity when you think about when you think about the the ideas. You know, we we're we're in a situation that I think, uh, in, to a large degree, I don't think America's ever been really faced with because we're such a young nation. Uh, you know, Dr. Jones brought up the fact that businesses. I, I as a business owner, as somebody who's worked for uh, Fortune five hundred, Fortune one hundred companies in my lifetime, he, he's absolutely right. You know, I i i don't know how many times as a businessman i'd go in and we're having a lean six months or something and i have a bunch of debt owed to uh my vendors i could just pick up the phone get on the phone with my vendors and say look you know here's the thing you know i'm going through some lean time here i know i owe you x but i can pay you you know y and you know they say okay yeah pay me back y and that's fine But as Dr. Jones alluded, uh, if you have student debt, for example, and that's the only debt you have, you you don't have the ability to call up the bank and say, hey, I only have. uh, Why can I can I just pay you that? And no, you can't because you're not considered important enough.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, the point with of debt. The point of usury and debt is there's no shared risk in a loan. So you, can ha- you have a relationship with your uh, vendors or whatever they are, and they're working out some type of relationship to preserve that. But technically, that's not what debt is. Debt is basically you owe the bank money. The bank says, sorry, you missed one payment. We're taking your house. That's the way debt goes. That's the way debt goes. Anything else is a private arrangement to keep, keep the thing going.
0: Yeah. It, it i agree with you 100 percent. it's i do have a relationship with them they want to continue that relationship because they know that throughout the the time we've been together i've i've made them money and they've helped make me money and so there there is that shared uh you know father pesh talked about this in in you know one of his great books where he said you know the the thing with the the stock market for example is that something like a stock market is okay because there is shared uh you share in the gain But you also share equally in the loss uh so it balances it out where with usury like you said there's only one winner and that's the bank and
1: everybody else is the loser that's right as pesh said there's no shared risk in a loan yep that's why it's immoral and and i think i think
0: go ahead No, 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 please continue. I, I was going to say, I think, it's, I, I think it's sad, you know, as we're having these conversations that there's so many people like hein- uh, Father Heinrich Pesch that many people haven't heard of or read about. And, and one of the things that I've actually been trying to work on is the fact that, like, his books that have been translated into English – you, you want to buy them, you're going to have to pay thousands of dollars for them. And no, that
1: was one of the biggest mistake that Rupert Ederer ever made was to going to Mellon Press. I published Rupert Ederer for the entire end of his life. I would have published uh, uh, the, 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 his translation of the Lehrbuch der Nationalökonomie. And the first thing I know, he's already got a deal. And the book is now cost you $1,300 to buy that book. Mm-hmm. No one's ever going to buy that book. One of the main reasons I wrote Barren Metal is because no one's ever going to buy that book. And I figured I better popularize, to the extent that I can, Pesh's thinking. Your, your book, actually, when I first read it,
0: uh, i had already known about uh, Father Pesh, but I, I hadn't read more of his stuff and when i did read barry metal that was really what got me to go out and and you know i do have the resources so i was able to go out and get the book and and read the book and it, and it just really it really saddened me that 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 we're in this place where where people like yourself who have the resources to do to to put out uh, a translation of it aren't able to because of like you said going to these places that pretty much lock down uh the rights to those books it's it's sad actually <laughs>
3: There has actually been an idea, Dr. Jones, kicking around between uh, me and Adam, your son, uh, about uh, the possibility of republishing Rupert Edderer's book, Economics, as if God mattered.
1: Yeah, we could do that. That's not a problem.
3: Yeah, I think it'd be a
1: do that. I think I think but Pesh's book has historical value. Hmm. And unfortunately, it is inaccessible and his thought will remain pretty much inaccessible to the to the world at large.
0: I I agree a hundred percent, and and it, and it really is it really is a shame, and I'm actually, uh, you know, uh, I'm saddened by that idea. I, I've actually said to people who who want to read it, look, I have a copy. It's it's expensive. I don't mind sharing it though, because I think the the information needs to get out there. But I think I think to a large degree, when we talk about these resets and stuff like that, when you when you think back to people like uh, like Father Heinrich Pesh, Father Vincent McNabb. Uh, Hilaire Belloc, uh, GK Chesterton all of them were kind of in in one way shape or form they were warning us almost a hundred years ago and in some cases over a hundred years ago of, of these impending problems and you've been warning us uh, what 30 40 years now uh, dr Jones about these these issues and uh, they're disguising them as environmental issues but I I think that there's it's really just a financial thing it's there, there's 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 really no environmental issue.
1: Uh, Now, there are environmental issues caused by debt. That's that's clear. If you read a book like Confessions of an Economic Hitman, Mm -hmm. his job was to go into countries like Ecuador. You bribe the elites. They go into debt. Okay, And at a certain point, the debt becomes unrepayable. And at that point, they say, well, we'll take your natural resources. We'll take the forest. We'll take the rainforest. We'll take the uh, the Parthenon. You name it. You're they have you have these countries over a barrel. So debt can cause uh, economic. I'm sorry. Debt can cause environmental problems. Not only
3: that, I was I was going to say so debt on the one side and we have capitalism, which is state sponsored usury, but capitalism and, and consumerism. Uh, are also problematic for the environment, and and frankly, like uh, a lot of like right wingers or, or Republicans or whatever, um, you know, they really don't think about this. Uh, for example, where where I'm living now in the Pacific North Northwest, it's become a very popular area for you know Californian refugees uh, to to get out and to to go somewhere a little nicer. But what's happening is there's this high demand for property, but all there is is farms. And so what is the town council doing? They are rezoning thousands and thousands of acres of farmland that produce the food that we eat here. Mm -hmm. And they're going to take it and turn it into high density subdivisions with thousands and thousands of homes that there's there. So um, I'm I'm working on the stats. I don't have all of them yet. But from what I can tell, actually, uh, birth rates are down because of covid. There is going to be, from what I understand, a very drastic drop off in the birth rate. Um, So, for example, you're going to have this high population increase because of the migration, the internal migration. And then there is not going to be an economy to sustain those people where they moved, number one. And then, number two, if they're not reproducing, all of the homes that they just built will be vacant and it will become a ghost town. It'll be just like Shenandoah, Pennsylvania or, or, or the old coal uh, areas. Um, that had these massive explosions or or, or even places like um, uh, Kellogg or uh, St. Regis, Montana, that were uh, part of the Silver Valley that had this massive rush. And then it's a ghost town. Um, and, and so I think it's not just happening here. I think that's going to be happening a lot of other places. And it is a very real environmental impact.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, here here in the in, you know, I'm a little bit uh, further east of you. Uh but if if you talk about way out in the uh areas like Montana, Wyoming, um uh, eastern Idaho, uh you started Cody, get, Wyoming, Cody, Wyoming. For yeah, sure. Co- Cody, Wyoming, Casper, Wyoming. You're seeing a lot of these places that, you know, were propped up by liberals because they wanted to go skiing. Uh, essentially becoming ghost towns because there was there was no skiing with the the chastisement with all these things going on uh all these things and, and it decimated the economy of these areas and then it, it becomes like okay we're tired of this um this quote unquote playground we have and they they do build these things up and what happens is and I've seen this and and you guys can chime in on this but a lot of the younger generation that grew up on these ranches and these farms out here they they went off to college, and then they go to the cities, and they don 't want to live on the ranch they don 't want to live on the farm, so the parents die off and what do they do? They take these big ranches, these big farmlands, and like you said, they get them rezoned and and you 'll see signs all over where I am will say uh, don 't want your land. I can help rezone it into subdivisions and and basically a guy 's smiling. Uh, about this, mm-hmm. and and people take millions of dollars to sell off this land, and we do run out of food, we run out of uh, uh, livestock, and uh, it's almost. I heard that there were serious cattle shortages this year too. There was. Well, the cattle shortages, from from my perspective, being out on uh, in in that area and stuff like that, is just due to the fact that they couldn't they couldn't get them to the slaughterhouses because the slaughterhouses weren't open and the the um, the meat processing There's facilities good- weren't open
2: yeah for some good coverage on that i recommend the ice age farmers youtube channel mm. that's all he talks about is uh everything going on and it's it's impact on the food supply
0: dr jones what is your what, what you you wrote a great book which was of course the slaughter of cities uh but what is your what is your thought process on on the rural areas and these young generations actually selling off this land to, to sub developments and stuff
1: well uh in, indiana uh went through a period of uh in many ways, industrialization, in some sense, forced industrialization of the the farming community in the 1970s, where the the, uh, agriculture uh, universities like Purdue would go to the farmers and they'd say, you know, you got to get bigger, get out. And in order to get big, you have to buy uh, tractors. So it was like the classic example of what not to do economically. So the farmers all went into debt and bought these big tractors. And lo and behold, the tractors did exactly what it was supposed to. It increased the yield. But unfortunately, by increasing the yield, they drove the price down. And because they drove the price down, they couldn't pay off the debt that they had incurred to buy the tractor. And so they lost the farm. So what you had over this period of time was a huge consolidation of basically out-of-state farm owners that uh, dispossessed the local farming population, not just the people who owned the farms, but all the people who worked on the farms and also worked to support the uh, infrastructure that they had. And so as a result, you have uh, now Monsanto – uh, probably I don't know the exact data, but uh, they're close to being the biggest farmer in, in Indiana now, and they impose their genetically modified crops on people. I have a friend, who, I, I, a friend, a guy I know who actually enabled this whole takeover. He was the broker for big New York people, uh, New York stock. Uh, stock exchange people who wanted a stable investment. So they rushed in here with a lot of money and bought up Indiana farms. And then once they did that, they simply handed them over to uh, Monsanto, who ran the whole the whole operation for them. So this guy would cry crocodile tears about the farms that he had destroyed, basically. It, to give him credit, a lot of these farms had already been they had been pa- passed from the family long before he got on the scene and they were lying vacant. They were run down and he helped build them up and then sold them. And, uh, certain people made a lot of money, but, uh, and he was one of those people. So he had a farm now that was basically, uh, for cucumbers for Monsa- uh, Monsanto to create pickles. And the, the cucumber had to be a certain size. And if it wasn't that size, they let it on the field to rot. And so we had a lot of gazpacho one year because there were all these tomatoes and cucumbers just lying there rotting because uh, they didn't fit into the jar. That's the type of um, uh, agro. Oh, oh, oh. So what, what is the bottom line here? It's concentration of wealth into fewer and fewer hands. And it's the depopulation of the agricultural areas because of uh, lack of lack of ownership. You simply don't need as many people as you used to because of mechanization. And the result is uh, a, a bad a bad farming system and a group of people who uh, are basically left high and dry when the uh, agricultural culture departs and they can grow marijuana, which has now become legal in Michigan, or you can have a meth lab. Oh, it's
3: which it's is- been legal in Michigan and they just decriminalized it
1: federally. Right. Yeah, so, that so that's that's and, and Mich- again. Michigan's uh, like a classic example of uh, the Wall Street, uh, the Mitt Romney's of the world, coming into town and wrecking the economic base buying it up, leverage buyouts, loading it down with debt for Bain Capital, and then walking off with a lot of money and all of the people become unemployed and the jobs end up uh, in China. And so as a result, what's left? Well, I mean, a lot of beer now in Michigan. People are making beer. Microbreweries are doing, doing well. Marijuana is part of it. But this is like subsistence farming. It's never going to replace the manufacturing base that was made this country prosperous in the first place could couldn't we reuse and this is something that i as, as an architect and an engineer
0: i've proposed this several times I've, I've spoken uh in conferences about it couldn't we repurpose if you look at if you look at the the midwest like you're saying indiana and other places and i've, I've toured them i've taken pictures of them for for uh conferences all of the uh abandoned factories and everything we have here in America that were basically just shuttered when all of these companies went to China and India and South America. I mean, couldn't we repurpose those? I mean, couldn't that be something that we as a nation could do to bring that manufacturing base back?
1: Yeah, we could turn them into casinos. (laughs) That's, That's what happened in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. The steel mill became a casino. That's that's mm. the type of see. Once these people get in charge of the economy, uh, they start calling the shots. So what what has happened here? You've got all this predatory stuff that has risen to fill the vacuum. So drugs. Now we're sell, raising drugs, selling drugs, gambling, a huge only fans in gambling. All of this type of stuff because there's no one uh, is has the uh, capital available to do uh, manufacturing again. it got to ha- we have to break, I mean, this is to T- Trump's credit. I think he tried to do something in, in this regard by breaking the, the relationship with China, which had become rich and powerful largely because of the outsourcing that Mitt Romney and his friends at Bain Capital had, had uh, foisted on the American public.
0: Yeah, I think I think not a lot of people give uh, the the due credit to uh, Romney and Bain Capital for their destruction of the American economy. Uh, He's just as bad as Paul Singer and Elliott Management.
1: Oh, easily, easily. I I, don't want to single him out. The uh, Carlisle Group does the same thing. These are all of these big hedge funds that are involved in the race.
3: BlackRock, Blackstone. all these these israeli investment i mean blackrock i think owns something like 80% of the world i mean uh, uh, a lot i mean they own a lot I, somebody should Google it. I'll Google it.
0: Yeah. I, I know it's, I mean, I know it's them, it's Vanguard. It's, it's, it's a lot of like, as mm-hmm. Dr. Jones rightly brings up, it's, it's a lot of these hedge funds. Uh, a lot of these uh, big investment banks are, are all involved in it. And that's where I really think like this, this, you know, quote unquote grand reset and everything like that. It is really just uh, giving a lot more power and control really uh to to big finance uh, you know and that,
1: yes, but wh- but why do you why do you think we had trump brexit yellow vest in the first place yep. because people four years ago people had had enough so now they don't have enough now mm. this, this doesn't make any sense yeah. do you act do you want blood in the streets do you want blood in the streets well you keep pushing this way you will get what you want to
2: give you an idea how tone deaf these people are some of their like plans Loffler. are they- They talk, some of the plans they've spoken about publicly include how we're all going to eat less meat. Now, Mm. I I don't know about you, but I live in Oklahoma, which is right between Kansas and Texas, two of the three or four hubs of barbecue in this country. And I look around my neighbors and every time I go to the grocery store, I see like the alternative meat section that they've, that the Walmarts here have now right next to all the real meat and how those are always full. And those products are always freezer burned because they've been sitting there forever. And I'm sitting here wondering how long are they going to push this? When the people in this part of the country are not going to buy it, how far, like, we're talking about an attempt to exercise control on the most intimate levels of your life, far beyond anything any tyrants in history have ever tried. This right. this goes down to total control of, of your life. And right. these people are so far removed from reality that they think they're going to get away with this. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, wait, if you, you it's, think- it's going to be amazing. What do you think that this guy with his German accent from Davos <laughs> telling you that it's we, we are going to reset, we're going to change everything and you're going to love it. You're going to go along with it and you'll love to have. That's not going to work. Who? who? What are they thinking? I, I oh, Don't you? Don't you? Don't you
3: realize why not? I am not as op- I'm not as optimistic.
0: <laughs> I, I think it's going to work. I don't. I, I think there, I think it's going to work. I agree with that. I agree with Dr. Jones. I think it's insane because it's like, I, I brought this up to A- Anthony when we were talking alone on the phone and I said, so he he wants to push this idea of, of you're going to rent everything. And what about all the people that have spent their entire lives acquiring stuff that they own? They're going to just sell it to the government so they can rent it back? I mean, the idea is nonsense. It's like Dr. Jones said, people are going to look no. and go, this is insane.
3: No, no, no. That's not how it's going to work. It's going to be expropriated from the people by the government because they owe debt and we need to reset the debt, which means that you need to pay your $60,000 of the share that you owe in the national debt. And if you don't do that, they're going to come in and start taking your property. And then you're going to have to rent it back from the corporate state of Elon Musk, Tesla.
2: And then you're going to hear the rallying cry of... uh, of the uh so-called conspiracy theorists like Alex Jones of the related to 1776 all of a sudden start uh ringing out again. I, there is a point that uh, p- that people will not put up with it anymore. And while Americans have been complacent and, there's, and sleepwalking it's in the air right now. It's everybody's sense But this is what we're, speaks we're, we're reaching a breaking point.
3: But this touches on uh the... Well, I was going to mention Yugoslavia and balkanization and and kick it back to Dr. Jones. But just before I do that, I do want to mention last week I went to Seattle. I had to go to Ikea. Um, It's cheap. Everything's cheap anymore. And Ikea stuff lasts longer than the other cheap crap that you can buy. Um, But, you know, I'm, I'm sitting up there. Everyone's a Democrat. Obviously, it's Seattle. And um, one of the managers was helping me. We got to talking. I was having a very difficult time because I've been wearing a mask for like 12 hours and I, I couldn't breathe. I was oxygen deprived. We started talking and she's, you know, Biden supporter, hates Donald Trump and completely against the COVID stuff. So it's not partisan either. It's not a partisan thing where it's only Republicans saying this. I just want to let people know because some like I, I don't get out often. And so I can start to fall into these kinds of categories of thinking that all Republicans are anti vax and they're all anti mask and all Democrats are pro vax and pro mask. That's not true. No. Um, so it is hitting everybody. Now, what I was going to say is the feeling where I live nobody's going to take that vaccine. Nobody wears the masks. It is understood that when they have a, a, a sign up on the wall, that that is just for like a health inspector or something like that, but nobody complies where we live. Now in Seattle, everyone complies. Everyone is doing it. And so we had discussed a long time ago this concept of uh, balkanization. And there's always been a conflict between rural and urban. So it's gonna be hard to get this to take off in rural areas. And I'm not sure if they're gonna be able to do that. And that's where I agree with you. But in the big cities, among these kinds of bug people, I think it's gonna be tremendously successful.
1: Dr. Jones? Well, obviously the country is divided right down the middle uh, and uh, no matter how uh, who ends up in the White House, half of the country is gonna be very unhappy, very unhappy. And so <clears throat> you do not have unity. And because you don't have unity, you've got resistance because unity uh, gives the impression that all men of goodwill believe this. this. Can you think of anything where that applies today, where we'd say all men of goodwill believe that, well, you, you shouldn't murder your children? No, no, we don't have anything like that. We have lost this type of uh, unanimity based on being an American. Now, that took a lot of work. Uh, especially at the beginning of the 20th century, where most people in big cities came from another country. And uh, a lot of them couldn't even speak the language. So they spent a lot of time with things like the triple melt, not the triple melting pot, the melting pot pageant uh, during World War One, where the, you'd walk into a big pot and come out uh, when the Star-Spangled Banner starts playing, you're dressed with a bowler hat, and you've all become Americans. We The, the, the irony here is that identity politics has destroyed america so you only can be an american now it used to be you could only be an american if you were a citizen of a state well now you can only be an american if you're a member of an aggrieved uh identity group so you can be gay or you can be black or blah 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 any of the uh acceptable identity groups but you've destroyed the ability to be an american and because there is no unity It's not going to be easy to enforce anything, anything, because the main reason for the main method for enforcement is you going along. So in other words, I am supposed to say, yes, all men of uh, understanding, all rational creatures believe that disease is a bad thing and that this will prevent disease. So therefore, I want to take it. You don't have to force me to take it. I obviously it's in my interest to take this. Well, they've broken that. They've broken this compact with the American people. And as I said, if it was bad four years ago, do you think it's better now when basically half of the country, no matter which way it goes, is going to feel that the election was stolen? That doesn't bode well for social control. And the minute the minute social control becomes overt, it starts to fail. That's the whole point here. Now, I, I, what about this
3: wild card? Have you heard the idea of um, the cyber coronavirus yet? Anyone? Yes. No, but,
2: n- no yes. but I can already see what this oh, is. Oh, this is about. big.
3: This is huge. This is huge. This is the hottest new thing. Um, I don't know if Klaus Schwab talked about this in his book, but everybody is talking about the digital equivalent of the coronavirus. Yes. I, and it is being set up that this so I heard that the, the there was in Iran some scientists that got offed and I heard it didn't happen I don't know if that's true or not but there's they're, they're setting the stage for something happening in Iran to make it look as though Iran is about to retaliate against something and that It's possible. It's been floated that that retaliation will be this computer coronavirus and it's going to cause the Internet to shut down. It's going to cause um, all of these kinds of tech and government to consolidate because that's the only way they'll be able to, you know, quote unquote, fight this this digitized version of the coronavirus. Has
0: anyone heard this? Or am I alone? No, I've heard about it. And he does mention he does mention. I got to say his book first off comes off like it's a science fiction novel. Okay. Um, I mean, realistically that's, that's, that's what it comes off to be. So does lockstep. So does lockstep from the Rockefeller foundation. Yeah. And I mean, he does talk about like these, these cyber, uh, uh, Corona, uh, cyber Corona's. And, and he talks about all kinds of, uh, other things that he's, uh, really kind of, uh, to a bit. um, so i I, i'm not sure how much of that uh to my you know to my opinion is is realistic i think it's uh you know kind of silly really uh on his on his part and and again he i kind of i've always kind of taken him as like a character like like dr jones says you know he's got the he's got the accent but then he also comes out in these outlandish costumes that he wears and uh (laughs) you know just this really kind of uh just just silliness I, I would say to a large degree uh, on his part but I think I think dr. Jones makes a good point because I guess the next question is if we if we are so divided as a nation which is absolutely 100 percent true you can see it everywhere uh i saw videos uh, of new yorkers and and of of an elder generation too i'm talking new yorkers in their 50s and stuff like that in their 60s uh jumping on on top of police cars because uh, a guy who owned a bar was arrested for opening up his bar um so you do see uh, this big divide and and you see it not only here in America, you see it in, in Italy, where uh, the right wing portion of parliament, uh, you know, kind of stood up and, uh, you know, basically was calling for uh, Conti's uh, resignation. What do you, what do you see the, is the inevitable uh, outcome in the next couple months, Dr. Jones, when we do have either a, a Trump second term or a Biden first term?
1: If it's a Trump second term, there will be revolution in the streets. It will be anti-father. It's because we're in the middle of a color revolution. And that is always the the scenario for a color revolution. So they will uh, the mainstream media will then uh, announce that the election has been stolen. Uh, They will call upon uh, Americans to rise up and go into rebellion. And then it will be up to Trump to put the rebellion down one way or the other. Whether he succeeds or not is uh, basically how much of the loyalty of the American people can he command? Okay. if, on the other hand, uh, Biden gets elected, you're not going to have the same type of reaction on the part of the uh, the Republican militia gun owners what you will have is a kind of retreat into a kind of sullen state of de facto civil disobedience uh, where large segments of the country will simply not enforce the laws. They will not enforce the laws, which is what is already happening now in places like rural Michigan. The local uh, police will uh, will not enforce the laws. So you will have two different Uh, two different countries. And it will uh, be up to the Supreme Court uh, in one way or the other to try and reconcile this thing. I think at this point, given the makeup of the Supreme Court, they will simply back away and they will have to ratify de facto the state of the the situation in the United States of America. And one way to do this would be, for example, to allow the states to decide whether abortion is legal or not. So I think that's the type of thing that would happen uh, if Biden becomes uh, president.
0: So more so more sovereignty to the states is what you're saying is an outcome of a. a, Well, you
1: now, now. you can say it. You can go on at, at, uh mainstream, you can go on uh, MSNBC and say dogs have five legs, but it doesn't make it that way. You right. know? And, and, and if you do, if you say it enough on the mainstream media, there will be probably a lot of people out there who say, yes, I agree. Dogs have five legs, but not everyone. And what that will happen is that will simply destroy what little credibility they have left. So they, this, this took years and years and years of sophisticated psychological warfare and social engineering to build up this consensus of what it, to be, it means to be an American and what we hold and what we do not hold. And it was destroyed over this period of time, largely because of Jewish influence, because mm-hmm. they undermined the moral order, beginning with obscenity, prayer in school. Uh, abortion, all of these things were all Jewish projects. They undermine the moral consensus, and now they're going to have to pay the price for that.
3: Well, if things continue the way that they have been continuing, like we've been seeing with the rise of populism, with the rise of figures like Trump, right, with those kinds of ideas, if it continues that way, there, there will be a reckoning for them, and they are in trouble. But if they can land this plane, and get people worried about other other elements, which is what I think a lot of this virus and um, Great Reset stuff is. It's just kind of like, you know, taking your eyes off of their ball. And what is the ball? Well, the ball is if Joe Biden becomes president, if he is sworn in, he is going to be the most Jewish president in history. And it's more than Trump. Uh, actually, uh, his he has more Jewish grandkids than Donald Trump. He has, a I believe, a longer- Relationship with Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, from what I understand, Joe Biden also would have known Arthur Finkelstein. I mean, he spent 30 years in the Senate. Um, yeah, there's no way that he wasn't involved with the the Roy Cohn types and the Finkelstein types. Um, And so with Donald Trump, for sure, you've got this kind of, um, to borrow a term, uh, jignat, right? Uh, um, These kinds of uh, bold Jewish nationalists, uh, Zionists um, that are doing the land grabs. Um, They're doing all of this kind of stuff. But I think that they're starting to worry that they're drawing too much attention to themselves. And I think that they want almost the cover of having another Iran deal um to kind of uh, let the heat off of them
0: well i will say so, this so, so yeah you, I, I mean i i, I was just going to add to your point dave uh it just came out today that um and, and i keep hearing iran and it came out today that pope francis is, has just announced that he's going to visit iran in in this uh you know yeah, he's going to baghdad and then and then to
2: uh, a Tehran. I don't know where in Iran he's going. Tehran now. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But first, he's going to Baghdad, which that was the thing I saw this morning.
3: Yep. So you he- should go to the church in Gethsemane that was blown, or that the that Zionist terrorists tried to blow up last week. That's where you should go.
0: I I th- I heard Iraq. I yeah. Heard
1: Iran.
0: Yeah. They add, they added they added Iran uh, just uh, a, a little while before we went on, Doctor Jones to his trip. So it's it's going to be a a further reaching trip in the Middle East than just Iraq. So it, but but regardless the the implication uh, of course of of a pope uh stepping foot into places like iran iraq um syria uh you know even israel to a larger degree uh we're actually talking about places that largely uh pope Pius uh himself had said you know kind of belonged to us anyway so it's uh you know, it kind of brings up that same thing. Like Dave, Dave just said, you know, we did have a church that was just recently, uh, firebombed a Catholic church firebombed by, uh, not, not, uh, Palestinians. They were the ones who actually saved the church from burning down to the ground. Right.
2: Hmm.
0: I, right, so Unpo- unpopular opinion moment for people. I know, but that is true. Yes. It, it, that is our unpopular opinion. Uh, De facto, it's a shout out to my my buddy Mike uh, and his unpopular opinions. Uh, but but largely, I agree. I agree. We we are definitely a nation uh, controlled not just by consumerism, but by materialism and usury. I mean, I bring up the thing all the time that how many Americans actually have cash in that pocket? I mean, nine times out of ten, it's it's a credit card.
2: I and honestly, I feel it, I, this. It kind of hit home to me a little bit when I was at the grocery store the other day and you had the bell ringer in front. And I remember 10 years ago, you could see people would reach in their pocket, pull change out. Now you don't see it at all Mm. because no one has anything in their pockets anymore. I had another
3: experience in Seattle this week I want to share with you. Um, So, you know, I flew in. And I needed to rent a truck to go to Ikea to pick up the stuff for the house, right? So I fly in and I've never had a problem renting a car before, ever in my life. And for whatever reason, when I show up at the car rental counter, I present them my debit card because I'm not a credit card guy. And uh, I they will not allow me to rent the car I was like, are you you kidding me? (laughs) So I had to do some finagling and and I wound up uh, able to get the car rental. But the point is that, you know, great reset, COVID-19, immunity passports, not being able to travel. The idea that the system is about to impose some sort of a regulation on you that will like limit your freedom if you don't participate in the system. It's already happened is the point. And Mm like... (laughs) A lot of times, you become so habituated to the way that things are, you don't really notice it. And I had one of those moments where I I, I saw how even the systems that we already have in place are are you know uh, very um, uh, I guess intrusive. Or I mean, it's just stupid. I mean, it's like you got a debit card with, with cash on it, and you need to authorize what seventy dollars on a credit card. What's the difference? What's the difference?
0: Well, they'll they'll typically to the me nothing to them. I, I, you know, I travel a lot for work and I have a lot of people that work for me that travel a lot. And, and, uh, the problem is what they'll tell you is, is that the problem with the debit card is, is that there's no insurance factor on a debit card. So, uh, you know, so if you get into an accident or you don't return the car or whatever else, and that's partially uh the reason that that rental car places like an enterprise or something won't do it uh but the truth is is that it's it's really uh you know i i think and, and dr jones is probably more educated on this than me but i think it, it does have a usurious uh content because there is no interest involved if you're using just cash from your from your debit card it's 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 a pass-through right it's just like paying cash in, in a way
1: point of credit card is so that you overspend at the end of the month and then go into debt it's just it's just a way of getting you sneaking you into debt as opposed to overtly getting you into debt
0: right and and that's why i think that they don't want you to use the debit cards anymore dr jones i wanted to ask you because this is pretty funny though uh the idea of the the coin shortage right now um where I, I, I kind of like to think that this is made up because they want you to use the plastic more than the cash uh, what's your what's your thought process on this idea that there's a coin shortage in America?
1: I think it's a function of inflation. I think the coin has become worthless uh, largely because of inflation that, that's that's why I'm that's why I see it people aren't using it Now people I don't people don't use coins anymore. I have heard first of, first of all there were machines do you remember at a certain point coinstar uh, you, you had machines that you used coins for that was one mm-hmm. of the big things all those machines have disappeared as far as i can tell
2: yeah there's a, there's still a couple of those coinstar machines in my area
1: but they look very dusty like no one's used them in a long time like the phone i remember i remember putting a mm-hmm. dime in to make a phone call it was <laughs> the only only way you could make a phone call is if you had a dime
3: Mm. Or even the, the vending machines now that accept credit cards. They don't take- Because it's, uh, too,
1: ex- it's too expensive. You'd have to have a whole bag full of coins to buy a candy bar. Well,
3: not only that, then you got to hire Brink Security to come with the Armored car to pick up all these heavy coins and shuttle them around. It's a real pain.
0: <laughs> it, I mean, I get that. I get that point. You brought up a good point, though. You said inflation. I, I've, I've had some economists on, on the show and everything like that who've told me that Uh, And of course, they're economists. So, you know, uh, I I largely discount most of what they say. uh, But I've told me that inflation doesn't exist in America right now.
2: (laughs) Even though even though something like 24 percent of the currency in circulation in the U.S. was printed in the last year. Yeah. Why don't you go check out how much a Vidalia
3: onion costs and then tell me that there's no inflation?
0: (laughs) It's funny because my wife, my wife is always like this. We'll go somewhere and she'll go. I remember when we used to be able to get this for like X. And I'm like, oh, "Honey, we're in 2020 now. We're not in 1985 anymore." And she's like, "I don't care. It's only worth this. Why are we paying this much money?" I'm like,
3: "Inflation." When I was a kid, when I was a kid, we could go out and we would buy gas less than a dollar a gallon, and we could go and shop for a week of groceries $25 when I was 8 years old. I for a family of 3.
1: So but you, you, sh- you have to look over the long term to see the real effects of inflation. It's not going to happen from like one week to the next. Right. But if you look, for, uh, for example, a uh, restaurant I used to go to down the shore, it's exactly the same restaurant. It's serving exactly the same food. And they simply added a zero to the end of every price from the time when I was there. And that was 20 years ago when I noticed that. So it's gone up since that time. Most people simply don't mention it. Uh, I, I don't notice it. I was I I noticed significant inflation with the introduction of the euro uh, in Europe in uh, around 2000. Uh, I again, it was the same situation. I had gone to a pub when I was a teacher there and most of my friends were students and you could pay 40 cents for a half a liter of beer. So I went with exactly the same guy I used to drink there with. Uh, this was in the early t- 21st century. Exactly the same guy. Let's go to exactly the same pub and have exactly the same drink. And he said to me, I can't afford it. I said, what? You, you used to be a student and you could drink yourself under the table every Friday night. Uh, and now you're the guy who owns the farm where you grew up and you can't afford one beer because a beer now costs $6 and 40 cents. All of that that was the result of inflation. It was all invisible and most of the people in Germany didn't understand what happened uh, either. It was all because of a massive inflation of the currency, the Euro, in order to pay off uh, the reunification of Germany.
3: Dr. Jones, do you perhaps know uh, an estimate for the level of inflation in America? No, I don't. I've heard estimates as high as 90%. I well, mean, I but just, I think that they're calculating they might- that off of the $35 uh, of gold uh, with, with the whole, like, um, uh, the, the derail from the gold standard. So I think that they're looking back and saying, oh, well, $35 would have bought you an ounce of gold. Now gold is worth $2,000. Therefore, the inflation is X.
1: No, that- yeah, well, gold gold is constant in value, so you could say that. Uh, uh, you, if you had a twenty dollar gold piece, if you had an ounce of gold, what could you buy in nineteen twenty, and what can you buy now? Well, you could buy pretty much the same thing. You could buy a suit, a tailor made suit, mm-hmm. for an ounce of gold. You can still buy a tailor made suit for an ounce of gold. That's right
0: yeah because it's cuz it's, hmm. it's that suit is that suit is $1200 and it was 35 right but that's what
3: <laughs> e- yeah exactly so so but, but that's the function i mean that's inflation that is inflation and it's it's ridiculously large I've, amount I, of inflation
0: i've i've heard it explained a different way and and you guys can chime in on this i've heard it explained that and, and i firmly do not believe in this being a, a, a somebody who calculates labor for a living uh, and labor costs and everything like that uh, I've heard it explained that because it's more expensive to do business today than it was in, say, 1970. But the issue is is that that's not really true when you factor in that, let's just say, Apple, for example, makes an iPad or an iPhone in China, in which case they're paying pennies on the dollar for labor uh, as opposed to what they would pay here in America. So real, realistically, the the cost for them to make that iPad or iPhone really hasn't changed much from what it would have cost in the 1970s to versus now. So I think that they're trying to justify it by saying, well, you have all these added costs, like you have uh, union costs and you have uh, health care costs and you have insurance costs. And it's, it's the excuse you get when you when you start talking about med- medical costs, right? They say, well, medical costs are so high because of the cost of mal- malpractice insurance or something like that.
1: There's one cost that they never talk about, and that's the cost of usury mm-hmm. added into every aspect of the of the economy. That's that's what we're paying for. That That's that's the, the main force, the main force that is driving inflation. Why is that? Because, first of all, in order to pay, I, I said this before, if X is the money supply, how are you going to pay off X plus a certain percent? How are you going to do that? Well, you do that. By inflating the currency. That's, that's how you pay off debt, traditionally. There's only one other alternative, and that's looting and conquering other countries. So, uh, for example, Sir Francis Drake solved the debt problem in England by basically uh, plundering the Spanish main and brought back all that gold. Solved the debt problem just like that. We don't do that anymore, although some people do. But uh, what you do is you inflate the, the currency. That is what That was the classic way that Rome, Solved its debt problem. You inflate the currency. The pers- people don't know. It's the pain. It seems like a painless way. There's not going to be any rebellion in the street because people don't notice it. But over the time, over the course of the Amer- uh, the Roman Empire, uh, usury made the inflation of the currency not a necessity because otherwise you could not pay off debt. And so, because of that, they wrecked the currency and ultimately drove everyone to the wall. Uh, all of the independent contractors had to become slaves on the big Lata fundia, And as a result, you had no one uh, producing wealth and the whole thing collapsed because Rome couldn't pay its legions anymore. 475 Augustulus ran out of money, couldn't pay the legions. At that point, the legions turned on him. Uh, they were all Goths, uh, foreigners anyway, and they took over the empire.
3: Yep, And I think that's from Chapter 5 of Logos Rising, Part
1: mm-hmm. 1
3: or 2? It's a very good chapter. It's well worth reading. You can get Thank it you. at
0: Fidelitypress.org. Thank you. Very <laughs> Thank you. one
1: of one of the one of the,
0: the one of the great books of the past uh past year to come out. I I definitely I've recommended it a few times to everybody. Uh you know, it's it's definitely one of my, my favorites to uh go back and quote and i and i agree with you dr jones because uh, in business one of the ways that i you know when i'm going out and bidding a project and i have to put all this money together and everything like that one of the one of the biggest factors when you do these big projects is what is the cost of my debt and i have to figure out my debt because i'm going to have to finance this project i can't i can't go into a, a particular project uh with my own cost because that that project's going to cost me uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars. I can't, I can't put that money up, so I have to finance it in some way, shape, or form. Which is basically for me, uh, in my industry, is my net thirty, my net sixty terms with uh, vendors. Uh, it's my my payroll and stuff like that. So I I always have to factor in an
1: amount of debt into that, into that number. Right. Let, let me just give you some perspective on this. 1910, OK, before the creation of the Fed, 90% of all capital investment in America is financed through profit. <laughs> you didn't have to go outside the company to finance capital improvement. Well, that Wall Street did not like that idea at all. And so the idea was to provide cheap credit to the manufacturing company uh, companies because that would enslave them. They would be forced uh, under uh, to con- into that form of control. That's what happened over this period of time.
0: Yeah, it's it it is sad. And when you talk, you bring up manufacturing quite a bit in you, in, in all your books and, and everywhere you talk. Uh, and and one of the things that I I like to point out to people is I get a lot of projects where uh, when we're building. They'll try their hardest to say, "Hey, we want to do only American." And I'll give you an example of of one of the things that you would think that we could get in America readily and inexpensively, which is steel, um, steel I beams and steel girders uh, in America, uh, red iron and stuff like that, uh, is almost non-accessible in America today. As a matter of fact, the last project we did, I would say eighty percent, eighty-five percent of our our red iron came from. High- uh, from Korea and Vietnam.
1: Yes, but we have that casino in Bethlehem. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have, we have uh, was, what What is, I was, I, I was in Aurora, Illinois, where they opened up a Bethlehem steel plant right after Donald Trump uh, came back into office. Obviously, that was one of the great tragedies of recent American economic history.
3: Hey, one thing we haven't discussed, and I know we are um, a little over an hour, and I know Dr. Jones usually only likes an hour, but. Um, I'm also curious about anything that anybody else has heard about the, um, in September, Donald Trump uh, put in an executive order staying any kinds of evictions through December 31st. And from what I understand, that has not been pushed through to the new year. So we all know from history and from statistics that the holidays are a very um, high time for people to commit suicide. And with the looming evictions and the uncertainty, um, where do you see that uh, putting us? I mean, I think it was in in Weimar, Germany. In Weimar, Germany, I I can't remember which year it was, but um, they had something like 275,000 suicides, if I remember correctly.
2: That's it's going to it's just going to be another thing that pushes us over the edge if things or helps push us closer to the edge in this country. If we don't get an extension on that, it's just another I feel like the American Republic right now is a Jenga tower and things just little pieces are being taken out and taken out to help to stabilize things. And that's just another one of these things. And he could easily fix it by just extending the executive order through whatever spring break typically is in this country. Do you think that
3: people like Kelly Leffler would, would be on board with that? I mean,
2: it would help build public goodwill, wouldn't it?
3: Right. But wouldn't uh, that kind exa- of put exa- the American exa- dream at risk? <laughs> uh, ex-
1: it, it would build goodwill, except if you're a landlord and you're renting property. Well, well, there's uh, that. So wait. So wait a minute. I you you no I can't evict my tenant. My tenant has just stopped paying rent. Uh, I have a mortgage on this place. That means I'm going to have to default on my mortgage. That's this is all these are short term uh, fixes, that mm-hmm. do not get to the root of the matter. And they create problems the longer they, you keep them on the books. Absolutely, absolutely yeah. agree. I think the, 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 that rental, could, the rental question is bigger than that. The rental question is bigger than that? Uh, I mean, I mean that? like you're
0: saying, it's, it, you, can't, you can't just put Band-Aids on the problems. I'm, I'm kind of agreeing with you. Is that oh, that? yeah, no, no, no. No, no, no.
1: no because, because there are people who use those houses, those properties as income or have to pay a mortgage. And if they don't can't get a rental income, then they can't pay the mortgage and then they have to default. And that can build uh, into a very uh, unpleasant situation very quickly.
3: Is there any condition in America that um, I guess, is there any condition in Weimar, Germany that is not currently present in American politics and economy? Is there a one of these kind of like signature things, for example, suicides, transgenderism, drug addiction, debt, inflation? Is there some something that is not uh, here yet?
1: Yeah, Germany was a conquered country. The main problem in Germany during the 1920s was these onerous, unjust reparations payments that they had to pay to uh, France because they had lost the war. That was Mm. the main problem. That was the main problem uh, among Germans. Uh, The the whole Rhineland, the whole heart of their industrial production capacity on the Ruhr uh, had been occupied by France was occupied by foreign power. So imagine, uh, let's say, if it were Detroit in 1940, then it's occupied by the Japanese or the Russians or something like that. Then you'd have some sense of the trauma that the Germans were going through at that point, forced to pay payments that they couldn't make. The whole one of the main stories uh, that we know from Weim- the Weimar Republic is uh, the story of the hy- hyperinflation. But we don't really know why. Why that they, they have hyperinflation? That was created by one of the greatest geniuses of the economic geniuses of the 20th century, Hjalmar Schacht, who basically understood that if you inflate, that's just what I said, if you inflate the currency, you pay off debt. That's -hmm. how they paid off the debt inflate the currency and then stop it, uh, burn all the money and start all over again. That's why they did that. That's the main thing that's missing. We don't have any. Uh, ocup- foreign occupying. Ever happened to yes, us? Yes, we do. Not,
3: not
2: officially. Yes, we do.
1: Yes, <laughs> we do.
2: Not officially. There might be. There might be a special interest group tied to a little strip of land in the Middle East that you're not under any circumstances permitted to like question because that would be the the least of patriotic thing you can do. It's Certainly not in line with America First values at all. We, <laughs> absolutely. We
1: do not mention them. <laughs> We, yeah, love our, do that. we love our We elder love our older brethren. We, we love our elder I mean, brethren.
3: They,
2: um somebody in the chat here says that they uh, um they used to work for a suicide watch uh, organization and a volunteer with crisis lines. They say from that people they know that they're still doing it that they have a 4000% increase Holy in those hotlines. Shit. Yeah, and if uh um, they expect that if one third is serious, then the South Michigan rate around the Detroit area may jump up to fifteen hundred percent.
0: Well, oh, I, I do know. I do know. Like Dave said, so, that Dr. Jones, like so, so, an this is interesting. Go ahead, Dave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes.
1: I know that on that note, I'd like to say that I talked a woman off the bridge in South Bend, Indiana. I always
2: liked that story. That yes. was a very, that, that story was very that that story is a, that that's one of those, uh, you
1: know, in the colloquial term, you know, very white pilling story. That was uh, so I that's a note I'd like to end on. I it did work. She didn't jump in the river. Uh, I was able to talk her out of it. And I talked her out by simply saying God has a plan for your life. So let's leave it at that. God has a plan for your life. No matter how bad things seem, he's always been in charge of history and he's in charge of it right now. Absolutely. Very good. Dr. Jones, yeah. you say
2: your, what is your most recent book and what's a second book that you think that people should
1: read to understand these times of yours? The most recent book is Logos Rising. Uh, it's available now at culturewars.com. Uh, we talked a lot about economics and Heinrich Pesh. Uh, barren metal is my next most recent book and that's also available uh actually that's available on amazon but don't go to amazon (laughs) go to culturewars.com you can buy both books there
2: pro tip guys if you're buying a book from a catholic author find the cat find the the publishing house that publish it and buy it directly from them Mm. thank you Thank oh, you. and a brief bit of housekeeping before you go. Uh, you were banned from
3: Twitter. It's true. Uh, but there is a second backup Twitter account that people can go follow. It's at Culture Wars Mag on Twitter, um, and we will be able to use that to communicate um, things from the desk of E. Michael Jones or from from Culture Wars Magazine. So that's still there, and the December issue is out, and uh, your latest article, The Rise and Fall of Conservatism in Michigan will be posted later thank today. You.
1: Thank you, and thank you for having me on. Thanks thank for you. The discussion. look thank forward to for having me, you on Dr. again soon, Dr. Jones. Yes, my pleasure, my
0: pleasure. Good luck. Thank you. And with that everybody as usual deo gracias thank you for turning in uh thank you for listening uh late in the day here Uh, i did notice and i want to say this before i hang up is that uh there was some throttling uh going on which i had never seen before uh but honestly i've never had a buffering issue uh with my connections as fast as they are uh, so I I will say that it was completely probably done on, on an opposite side of uh, of the stream, uh, so to say. Um,
2: so.